Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Good morning. Oh, yeah, it's good to be with you. My name is Larry. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, quick uh, announcement. In three weeks, so we have three Sundays, and then we are not meeting here on November 21st. Why? Because we're going to go out into the community and do a serve day. So if you're here, just know Sunday the 21st, we don't want you here, but we do want you somewhere. Deal? We want you to dedicate the same time that you've dedicated towards coming to church or joining us online. Um, we have uh, a handful of projects. A lot of them are going to be outside. Some of them are kind of smaller and more intimate. You can sign up today to be a part of those. and We can let you know what you're going to be doing. Uh, the projects this year are going to be in Benicia, so they're going to be local to this community. Um, there is a handful of seniors' homes um, that we're going to be coming alongside of and helping them, that there's some things they can't do. There's a wonderful organization um, that we've partnered with for quite a few years now here at this church and doing things with um, people that are part of their group. And uh, a couple years ago was the first time that we got to partner with them and actually go to some of the homes of some of the senior citizens in this area that needed help. And so we um, could use some of you who know that you like have some sort of specialty. Uh, would be great to let us know if you're like a uh, you know, hands-on, you can build some stuff, or you can do electrical or plumbing or all those types of things. There's many, many needs. Uh, the other project that we're going to be doing is we're going to be um, giving some dignity uh, and refreshing and actually partnering with the Parks and Rec in uh, Benicia and their team, and we're going to be going to a cemetery. And we're probably going to do some things where we just try to love on everyone who comes by that and this uh, really what would be like a season that's very difficult for people. We're coming into the holidays, which is where you remember a lot of those things much more and who's not at the chair next to you, uh, or you remember generationally what's going on. And so there's a lot of work that, and upkeep that needs to take place there just to you know, beautify it, gentrify it, uh, and make it beautiful. So that was going to be a really neat gift we're going to be able to do to unleash compassion in this community. So uh, after service or online during service right now. There's a couple different ways you can sign up. You can go physically up to a table. There's going to be some people in the lobby um, at the table on the left. If you're on campus, you can open up your app. We have a Northgate app. It's under Sunday services. If you click on Sunday services, you see all the different things that you can use, the tools that you can use for Sunday services. But right on top, it says serve day. Uh, you can go onto our website uh, or if you're with us online, uh, they're going to throw something in the chat room up there that you can just click and do an easy form. Deal? Yeah. Exciting? Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. This is, a, I think, a really cool thing because we say like, hey, we're not just come come here and do church, but we're going to go out and be the church. And so we're dedicating that whole time saying like, we're not just going to do this. We're going to go out and actually practice the things that we've been learning. So I am pumped about that. Um, you're going to see in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about that every week. And then the next couple of weeks, going to start trying to get signups, see if those of you who'd be interested in volunteering for our light show uh, where we're going to see literally tens of thousands of people come up here. It's going to be really neat. And uh, need people who are willing um, to help people park. Because believe it or not, most people don't know how to park. <laughs> it's true. So you're laughing because you're like, yeah, that's me. I signed up for that. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, really looking forward to just this season of um, what we're doing, what's going on, and how we all get to participate. 
So we've been in Matthew. Uh, a lot of you guys have this journal. We wrote a journal for the year. If this is your first time with us, if you're new with us, we want to give this as a gift to you. It's got all the stuff we're talking about, what we've talked about, what we're going to be talking about. So you can hop right in, take some notes. You can get that on your way out today at the New Friends area. They'd love to give this to you as a gift. Um, if you, this is maybe your first time physically with us and you haven't gotten one of these yet, you can also go there, give them a shout out, get hooked up with that. We're on page 53 today. We are wrapping up the temptations of Jesus. Jesus has gone out into the wilderness. Chapter 4 kicked off. Jesus had just been baptized. This is the start of his adult ministry. Gets taken off into the wilderness. And the tempter, Satan, has been tempting him with a multitude of temptations. And so today we're wrapping that up. This is the third and final one uh, before he then goes off and hits the road running, literally. So the first week... What we did is we talked about the temptation of pleasure, the temptation of pleasure. 40 days, fasted, hasn't eaten anything, super hungry. He says, Satan comes up to him and says, hey, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Take on this pleasure, this need that you have immediately, grab it for what you want. And he said, people don't live on bread. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on the word of God. So this was this temptation of pleasure. Then we unpacked last week the temptation of pride, where he said, I took him up to the top of the temple, and he said, why don't you jump off the temple, and the angels are going to come because it's written that they're going to come. They're not going to let your feet strike any kind of stone or rock, and they will save you, and you'll get to be the best and the baddest and show everybody, look who I am. I do tricks and miracles, and everyone's going to bow down, and this is going to be great. Today, we're wrapping up this final temptation is the temptation of power. The temptation of power, which I think is one of the most difficult ones that I think he's tempted with, and it's really powerful how it ends. It reads like this. <clears throat> it's in your journal. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. It's also in your Bible in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. Essentially right here, showing him all the kingdoms of the world, all of, the, all of their people, what's in it. The glory is their weight, everything that comes in, their treasure, their issues, everything about them, their glory. And he said to him, all of these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship, go back, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to serve him. So what we see this saying right here is this wrapped up, in this line specifically, all right in here, is that anything that we put above God, anything we put above God, any normal thing that becomes an ultimate thing is an issue of worship. Anything. Any normal thing that becomes this ultimate thing is an issue of worship. And here's the issue, is that it's not like a question of if we worship. It's not like, uh, I wonder if you worship something. The question is, is what is the thing that you and I worship, the thing that like consumes us or consumes the human heart? We all worship things. We take normal things in life. And then we slowly or we quickly elevate them to like the ultimate things and they become God things. 
And sometimes this happens and we know exactly what's going on. And sometimes it just kind of sneaks in on us. Next thing you know, it is the thing. And this is everybody. So for some of us, maybe you, you take your beauty. Maybe you take your beauty, your love of beauty. And here's what I mean by worship. It's the way that you get satisfied. It's the way that you find like fulfillment in life is through beauty, right? So we spend our money on it. And because when we talk about worship right now, I'm not specifically talking about the songs that you sing or the things that you're telling me you worship. But if you want to know what you worship, what we worship in our life, you can get out a whole worship detailed list of the things that you spend your money and your time uh, and your, your energy on. Those are the things that play this central role in our life that actually brings fulfillment. It's what satisfies you. It's what brings you comfort. It's what makes you happy. And, and if you were to choose beauty, some of us, it's beauty. And that's the thing that satisfies it. The ancients would actually say, well, actually what you do is you worship the God of Aphrodite. That's what the ancients would say. And we would say like, no, I don't worship God of Aphrodite. Like, no, I just like, you know, to be presented an image. And this is a really big deal to me. And, you know, like I'm going to spend a lot of time and effort and it has to be this perfect thing. And this is what the ancients, why they would say that. Well, no, no, no. You don't actually understand. That is the God of goddess of Aphrodite, because whatever my body is doing, whatever my heart and my mind are consumed with that is actually surrendered over to these things, to beauty, it becomes transcendental in my life. It becomes this transcendental thing. In my life, it actually becomes the ultimate thing. And we do this all the time. We replace God with things. And so for some of us, maybe it's beauty. For some of us, it's love. For some of us, it's love and the things that we love. And again, you could call this the goddess of Aphrodite. That's what they would call it, right? And by love, I mean, you look at your like boyfriend or you look at your girlfriend or you look at your spouse or your kids and they're supposed to give you this ultimate joy, right? This ultimate joy and fulfillment in your life. It's supposed to give you the, the best joy and fulfillment in your life. But if they go away, if that gets disconnected or they just stop doing it, what happens? For those of us who put everything into that, we fall apart. Your identity falls apart. Your heart falls apart. Your joy falls apart. And that means that we're driving or deriving all of our meaning and our joy from this person. And that was never the plan. Why is that? Because God wired you so that you would have ultimate joy. God wired you so that you would have ultimate joy when you're connected to him, not other human beings. So what needs to happen is the gospel needs to come in and go, no, 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 let's deconstruct. Let's deconstruct the idols of our heart. Love is not a God. Beauty is not a God. And for some of you, it's love or it's beauty. Others, it's power. Others, it's money, right? It's the chasing and toiling in the wind, you get all of your meaning from money. It consumes you. You think, how can I have another job? How can I just get this much more? How can I afford this or get recognition from this and status from this? And you go after money. You're spending all your time and energy trying to get money and more money and more money. And where the ancients, they would call this mammon. This was the god of money. In the Bible, so it wants to call us out. And these are the things... In, in, uh, when Jesus came, right, and culturally that they were dealing with. They had this polytheism, 
which was all of the different gods for things. It was the things that people worshipped. And there's this monotheistic, one true God. And so the Bible wants to call all of these things out in our life. And all of these things come back to worship. What do you really worship? What do we really worship? What glory do we see as the thing we want to worship? And that's why Jesus goes this power question, this power question the, the ancients would call the God, the God of Mars, right? He goes, I want to deny this power temptation, and I want to worship God. So he makes this temptation about temptation of worship, about what do we worship? Who do we worship? Now, there's different levels in this last temptation, a couple layers that I want to go through. The first is, what does it have to do with Jesus? What does this temptation specifically have to do with Jesus? And then later, what does it have to do with us personally, me and you, you and I right now? So this first level, what does it have to do with Jesus? Really important. Here's something that's really important. Every sermon, wherever you go, whatever you watch, whenever you're here, every sermon should, should help you try to get to know God, to, to love God more, or to appreciate, or um, to respect God more, or to leave this place more revered and in awe of who God is than when you walked in here, than when you watched it. That's the, that's the whole point. This is what everything should go to. But what we tend to do, and we tend to do this in our own personal lives, is we tend to short-circuit that, that process. We like study the Bible, we open it up, and we just jump right to application. And we're like, just tell me what it means about me. <laughs> What do I do with it, right? We jumped right in and we do this and that's what we tend to do. Like maybe you'll do a devotional, you'll start reading a Devo in the morning and you're like an Ezekiel and you're like, this is so boring. Just get to the good part. Like, what about me? What does this have to do with me? And the problem is, is that the Bible is first and foremost, foremost about God. That's what the word's all about. First and foremost, it's about God, who he is, what are his attributes? What is his glory? Why is he holy? And it's all about God. And so that's what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to hop in and say, like, what does this look like? Who is this? How do I unpack this? How do I understand more of who he is, his characteristics, his attributes? Um, this is why maybe some really good questions, you can write this down, that you ask yourself when you're actually doing some sort of study or having even a conversation about God. The first question should always be, what do I learn about God? From this story or this scene or what you could be seen as like this boring thing when you're reading all these rules and regulations, like it should be measured like this and you know, built like this. Ask, well, what does God care about? Like, why does he care about these specifics? The next question is, what is this? What do I learn about humanity? This is what I learned about God. What do I learn about humanity in this story or this narrative or this scripture? And then the last thing is, what do I learn about myself in this? Where, how can I apply this to myself? And only by understanding the things about God are you going to understand anything about you. You were made in his image, you're an image bearer. So only by understanding the one that you're made in and by are you going to understand anything about you. That's why we read like in the book of Exodus, just chapter after chapter after chapter going like the curtains of the temple are going to go like this and then you got to do this and measure this box with this point right here. And you guys know when you're in there reading it, we always just want to skip to the good part and say, what does it have to do with me? And so this is the same thing that Jesus is dealing with right now. 
He's saying you, you're going to understand yourself that there are times that you just need to sit back when some sort of temptation is put in front of you just to go fast and jump into something. You need to sit back and go, let me just learn some stuff about who God is, about the attributes of who God is, and become more revered, more uh, love him more, respect him more, understand the God of the universe before I jump to me. So that's the first section. But what does this have to do with Jesus? Here's what I desire. I desire that you would love and respect and fear Jesus more because of the next few minutes what I'm going to share with you. And here's what we're going to say about Jesus in this first level. He gets tempted with this temptation right here, this temptation for power. And here's why you're going to revere him and love him more walking out of here when you walked in. It's because we see in Jesus, when we look at this temptation, we see in Jesus who's somebody who succeeds. He succeeds where Adam and Eve and Israel and you and I fail every day. He succeeds. He passes. And here's what I mean. Remember uh, the story of Adam and Eve in the very beginning of the Bible. They're in the garden, and God comes to them, and they've already fallen. And so, you know, they're realizing they're naked. They're hiding. And they've already sinned, and, and God's looking for them and walking through and saying, where are you? And then in this classic male kind of push responsibility onto the female <laughs> around you, he says, who, who, who did this? Who decided to eat of this fruit? There was this fruit that they weren't supposed to partake of. There was one that they could partake of and one that they were asked not to partake of. And they took and partook of the fruit that they weren't supposed to. And so when God says, why did you sin? Why did you do this? He goes, it was the woman you gave me, right? He just pushes responsibility. And so it paints this weird picture to us. Like Adam's like this perfect dude just hanging out in the garden, you know, fasting and praying. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I think I hear the woman sinning, <laughs> you know, and she's just trancing around and, and hanging out. And, but the, the deal is, is, is he was right there with her. Genesis 3 talks about he was right there with her when they partook in this together. And this tempter came to him, and here's what happens in the garden. They're there, and there's this parallel between Jesus and where Adam and Eve failed. So there's this scene there at this tree, and the tempter is there. This first temptation that they experience, and this first temptation that Jesus experiences is he's tempted by these stones to make them into bread, to eat, even though God told you not to in the garden. So don't eat of this tree, even though God told you not to, and Satan's going, the tempter's going, you can eat. It's not going to hurt you. You want it. It's delicious. The second temptation that Jesus gets is he gets this temptation to jump off the temple and the angels are going to catch him and his, his foot aren't, isn't going to strike anything, isn't going to strike a stone and you're not going to get hurt. And this temptation is, in the garden is that you can eat of this tree and you won't die. You're not going to die and it's pleasing to the eye, isn't it? Look, you're in control. You can have this if you want to. God's not going to kill you for this. And the parallel in this third temptation is that Jesus gets, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. You can have it all. And Adam and Eve, the tempter, looks at them and says, you 
can be like God. You can be like God. And all three times where Adam and Eve and Israel in the wilderness in their journey fail, Jesus is succeeding, redeeming. This is what Matthew is pointing out. He's passing. He actually gets this temptation put in front of him. and He goes, I'm not going to take this route. This isn't the way that this is supposed to go. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to eat it. I'm not going to jump off because this is a test. I'm going to take a different route. We're going to see that he's saying, I'm going to take the long route. I'm not going to take the power, but instead I'm going to take suffering because of what it's going to mean for everyone eternally in the future. So that's the first level I want you to be in awe of Jesus is that he succeeds. He passes where we fail every day succeeds where we we fail every day. The second level is this. I think sometimes we don't actually appreciate the fact that um, we tend to think, oh, because he's Jesus, he wasn't really even tempted. Like that wasn't tempting to him. Come on. Like we knew he was going to pass. We knew he was going to win. It wasn't actually tempting for him. Well, there's no actual way that he was tempted to worship. We don't believe that. He wasn't tempted to worship. And and so we think this isn't a really big deal. And I want to tell you, this is a really big deal. And here's why. Here's what the devil just appealed to Jesus' life. He just appealed to Jesus' deep motive, like the reason he came here. Why did Jesus come? He just came from heaven, so why would he set his glory aside? Why would you come down here and set your glory aside? So he could come and he could save people. So he could come and he could save people, right? That's what the devil just put in in front of him. He just said, yeah, you can do that. Look at this. This is what you came here for. I want to give you all the kingdoms of the world right now, which means the people inside of them, take all of them. You can rule them, and you're you're a good king. This is going to be great. And this is why Jesus set aside his glory from heaven to earth was to save people. The problem is is Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I'm not going to take the easy route. I'm not going to take like the quick uh, route. I'm going to take the long route, the, the suffering route. I've got to take the difficult one. And this is what we're actually tempted towards every day. We're tempted um, towards just taking the easy route, the quick one, uh, towards what the devil just puts in front of us, the tempter puts in front of us on our plate and just says, take it. And so we just kind of grab it and we gravitate towards something easy. And the second level for Jesus, how we look at him, if you doubt that this was real, Jesus actually felt this and the intensity of this temptation is here's how we know that it was real for him. If you look at the wording in verse 10 right here, he says to him, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him. This exclamation mark is not how I just read it. This is not how I said it. In the Greek right here, you see this exclamation mark. This means that they were emphatic. So he wasn't just like, away from me, Satan, right? This is like he yelled at him, away from me. Like, you got to get away. Go far away. Get away from me now. I got to go away from this. You stay away from me. It's emphatic. And he didn't do what we do with sin, right? We just kind of like play with it a little bit. We're like, oh, that's kind of nice, right? Here's like an interesting option we can do. I just want to gravitate to it and, you know, like we'll kick it a little bit, see what's under it, play with it. It makes us feel good. That's what we do with temptation. 
And this is how we know it was real from him. If you look, if we jump ahead into Matthew chapter 16, um, this wasn't just a game for him. He's having a conversation. This last temptation was probably the biggest one. You can see he's having this conversation with his disciples. And this is where he's making this pivot now towards Jerusalem. And he's talking to his disciples and he says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And here's our word again taking this long route to suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And they all looked at him and thought, he's gone cuckoo for cocoa puffs. What is this guy doing? This is not the way this is supposed to happen. To the degree that Peter then says, took him aside. Peter took him aside and says, you know, I don't think this is what we signed up for. Like, we're supposed to come and overpower things and take it. So he began to rebuke Jesus and, and like told the guys, I'll take him. I'll take care of this. I don't know what he's talking about. This is nonsense. He's going to go suffer and die. Does that mean we have to do the same thing? I don't want to do that. You want to do that? No, let's go talk to him. So he took him aside and began to rebuke him and say, no, never, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. This isn't what we're going to do. And Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, Get behind me, Satan. This is how big of a deal this was for him. This was the weight of it. You're a stumbling block to me, and you don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is crazy. He says, get behind me. He calls Peter Satan. (laughs) Peter, Satan's using you. You're thinking power. You're thinking like you're going to overtake this. You're thinking of ease. You're thinking of really quick routes. And the problem is, is that my way is difficult, which is why in the following verses right there, he talks about you've got to carry your cross. My way is rough, and sometimes you die. Sometimes that person that you've been praying for, they don't make it, and you don't get to make me dance for you. Our problem is not that God has to show his faithfulness to us continually and dance for us and to fill up this bank of accounts every time he heals us. That's our problem. That's just what we want. And Jesus, he shows us this other way. He shows us this downward mobility where he goes, when you're tempted to grasp and to carry and to take on power, here's what you need to do. Think about rejecting it. Think about rejecting it. Um, a professor named Henry Noun, uh, he wrote a book that I read in a graduate school called In the Name of Jesus. And he was a, a teacher, the, the spiritual teacher at Harvard and Yale. Brilliant guy. And um, he taught on spirituality and um, he talks in this book how he got burnt out. He got burnt out from this. And so he like kept praying to God, like, what do I do? Like, I'm just feeling like at a dead end here. And he felt like God spoke to him really clearly and said, I want you to go and work with special needs people. And there was a, a small community um, of special needs people. It's where they lived. And so he went there to this uh, community. And the rest of his life is where he served these special needs people. And it gives these um, really... Uh, detailed accounts of him talking about, you know, feeding people and literally wiping their bums. And this is a guy, a lecturer on spirituality that was at Harvard and Yale, and now he goes and spends the rest of his life ending his days off wiping the bums of, of people who need 
him and feeding them. And he says, that's where I met Jesus. That's where I met Jesus most because it was this downward, downward mobility. It was giving up power. It was resisting power. And this is what Jesus lays out on the table for us. And so he's tempted to solve it right off the bat. That's his temptation. He's tempted to solve it. And that's the brilliance and the beauty and why you need Jesus to love and respect. Why you need to love and respect and be awe of him. Because there's this uh, story in Mark of um, a paralyzed man. His friends, his four friends, carry him and get to a home that's packed with people. And they're trying to get him to Jesus because they've heard that Jesus is healing people and he's doing all kinds of things. And so they literally climb up on the roof, it talks about, and they're digging a hole into the roof. And they're like kicking out the roof right here. And then they lower their friend down in front of Jesus in this story. And what happens is Jesus is like, oh man, he looks over at him and he says, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) And I'm sure the guy went, wait, I wanted to walk, (laughs) right? Your sins are forgiven. Jesus says, why would you want to walk? So you could walk around for the next 60 years and die and go to hell? How can I heal you spiritually? Forgive you of your sin, which is your actual problem. See, Jesus goes after the spiritual. He goes after the spiritual. He goes after the eternal. And what the devil offers you is on a temporal level. It's right there. You can have this. And that's the things that are going to shift our heart away from God because the eternal is more important. Now, what does that have to do with us personally? What does this temptation have to do with us personally? Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, here's what it looks like in a personal level. First is this, what it says, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only only. Here's what he just said. You have to believe in your heart. You have to believe so deeply in your heart and worship God that you believe that he actually has something better for you in the future. That's so deeply down in your heart that you worship him. You're believing no matter what comes that he has something better for you, that your heart is so aligned, that you so worship the Lord your God, rather than this thing that you believe, this temporal thing right here that is pushing in on you or leaning in you, that God has something bigger and infinite and eternal for you. And if you can just resist that moment of temptation when you're looking at pleasure or pride or power or remember whatever it is going on that's going to empower you, because here's what Jesus knew. He's Here's what the devil does. He says, I'm going to take the kingdoms of the world and I'm going to give it to you now. It's right now. It's right in front of you. And here's what's fascinating is at the end of the gospel, Jesus uh, stands up and he gives this great commission. And he says, I have all authority over what? The kingdoms of just the earth? No. He goes, no, no, no. I have all authority over earth and heaven. And what God had for him was much more when, what the devil had put on the plate for him. The, devil, the tempter said, here's just the earth. You can have just these earth things. He said, no, 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 I want both. And if any of us in this room are going to defeat temptation that kills us, 
here's what we have to do. We have to mortify sin. We have to kill it. We have to kill it. We have to kill it. You have to go on the offensive and you have to fight it. And we have to kill it or it will be killing you. Those are your two options. You be killing sin or it be killing you. And to do this, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to feel wrong. It's going to feel bad. And you're not going to get that pleasure moment right away of this. It's going to be long and protracted. Instead of instant, it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt when you take it apart, when you peel those kingdoms that we've grasped, the temptations that we're living with and just kind of living and stewing in to say no to that. But this is what it means when God's transforming you into the image of Christ because killing sin hurts. Killing sin hurts. Um, as I wrap up right now, I'm going to ask that you close your eyes. If you'd close your eyes. Or... I want to finish off by reading you a quote from C.S. Lewis from a book that he wrote in the Chronicles of Narnia called The Voyage of the Dawn Trader. And in it, there's this character um, named Eustace. And Eustace wants power and power and power. And so God does for him what he seeks and makes him powerful and he becomes a dragon. He has all the power. And now he doesn't want to do it anymore because it's corrupted him. He's got everything, but it just destroyed him. And so he meets Aslan, the lion, the God figure, and here's what Eustace says. I was afraid of his claws, but I was pretty desperate now. So I just laid down on my back and I let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. The first tear that he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right down into my heart. And when he began to pull the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. It hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. He ripped it off, and there was I as smooth and soft as a peeled orange and smaller than I had ever been. I had turned back into a boy. If I were humble enough to let God work on us, even though it will hurt, we can resist and have the same victory, friends, over temptation. Let me leave you with this verse. 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. Would you respond and worship with me and stand? And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at NGATECF. See you next week.